G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The other disciples trusted Paul. They embraced him, and he was able to move freely throughout the known world and preach the gospel. Now, can I ask you again, who's doing that for you, man? Who's cheering you on? Who's your balcony person that's saying, man, get out of there. Come on, man. There's so much more for life. There's so much more for you. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me want to dance and sing With every single breath I breathe I will bring this offering You are my wonder You bring the wonder Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. We're continuing a message from Acts chapter 9 about Paul's conversion and his early history with apostles Ananias and Barnabas, who used their platforms to further Christ's cause. If you've missed any of this series, you can catch up on all the episodes and other messages. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to your podcasts. For now, Here's Pastor Jeff in Acts chapter 9. Hey, there's a great story in the New Testament. In fact, when we were in Israel recently with the, with the Israel trip that we took with a few of our friends and some who weren't our friends, not that they were enemies, but we didn't know them that well. Ooh, be careful. So we got to see the pool where the guy had been waiting forever. Uh, and when the when the angels came, it was said that the waters were stirred, and then the first one in got healed. Well, Jesus comes across this dude. He's been sitting there 38 years, and Jesus asked him an interesting question. Remember what it was? Do you want to be made well? The first time I read that story, I thought, what do you, do I want to be made well? Do I look like I want to be made well? Of course I want to be made well. I can't walk. I'm paralyzed 38 years. But Jesus asked him that, and then I started thinking, wait a minute, 38 years, you couldn't get into the pool? Dude, you got no mates. You got no friends. There's no investment that you've made. You've been sitting over there complaining, woe is me, I can't get into the pool. Dude, do something. Crawl on your belly if you have to. Guys, will you help me get into the pool? Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Because maybe Jesus was saying, if I make you well, you can't groan and moan anymore. And that's become your identity. That's who you are. Groaning and moaning, woe is me. You've become a basement dude and you're very comfortable living down there on that couch. But if I make you well, you can't do that anymore. Your identity's gonna change. Dude, you might even have to get a job and work and earn a living like the rest of us because you can walk now. You'll be made well. Do you sure, are you sure you want that? Hey, do you remember the, do you remember the comedy? Don't tell my wife I watched this. I still love to watch. I don't know why. I got issues. Do you remember the great comedy, Cheers? What was the premise of the show? where everybody knows your name. What was the underlying premise of the show where no one ever gets out of the basement? 
You had to walk downstairs to get there, remember? It's metaphorical. Their lives are going nowhere. They just meet at the same place at the end of every day, talk about the same struggles, and nobody does anything to get out. And who's their poster boy? Norm. And the show would start by Norm walking in, and everybody would say, or somebody would say, how's it going, Norm? And it was all a setup for this famous line that defined the show. What's new, Normie? Terrorist, Sam. They've taken over my stomach, and they're demanding beer. (laughs) What would you like, Normie? A reason to live. Give me a beer. Hey, Norm, how's the world been treating you? Like a baby treats a diaper. (laughs) How's it going, Mr. Peterson? It's a dog-eat-dog world, Woody, and I'm wearing milk bone underwear. (laughs) Hey, how's life treating you, Norm? Beats me. Then it kicks me and leaves me for dead. And finally, how's the world treating you, Norm? Like I just ran over its dog. That is the whole story of Cheers. If you surround yourself with basement people, you'll never get out of the basement. You'll have to find some balcony people who are able to see something beyond what you've done in the past and what you are now into what you potentially could be. In fact, balcony people believe in the transformation by something that is supernatural, which makes me wonder if Paul wrote what he wrote in Romans 6, 4 because of his relationship with Barnabas. He said, just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life no matter what we've done in the past. Because Barnabas now told the other disciples, because he vouched for Paul, The other disciples trusted Paul. They embraced him, and he was able to move freely throughout the known world and preach the gospel. Now, can I ask you again, who's doing that for you, man? Come on, who's cheering you on? Hey, look, who's enabling you? Who listens to you complain all the time because they're codependent on you too? They need to feel like they have a purpose, and they think their purpose is to listen to you complain 24 hours a day. So who's dragging you in the basement? Who's your balcony person that's saying, man, get out of there. Come on, man. There's so much more for life. There's so much more for you. So much more. The reason my dad, and I've seen this happen a thousand times, when people retire, they get depressed pretty quickly because they feel like they're not accomplishing anything in life. Well, there's no retirement in the kingdom of God, though. In the kingdom of God, that's when you can be used. You got more time, man. You can really, you can become a balcony person for so many people now. That's the purpose of your life. Who's doing that for you? Because let me tell you, if you don't find a balcony person, you will live in the basement in darkness and the light will sooner or later go out. And at the end of the story, there's a wonderful little summary. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. So the church gets stronger because people encouraged one another and it had to get stronger. It was harsh treatment. They were dying for their faith, but people were still coming in by the thousands. How does that work? Because people said, I want to be part of a community where people are strengthened and encouraged to discover the very purpose for which they came into this world. And I want to be part of a community that takes a look at me and says, I don't care what you did today, yesterday, or two years, 10 years ago. It's different. You draw a line in the sand. Today's another day, and you can be whatever you want to be. I had a friend of mine, uh, I've mentioned many times about how I was privileged to play on a very successful university basketball team. Smaller division, nevertheless, a good team. We went to the national tournament all four years uh, when I attended the university, but we never did well. What I didn't tell you, I'll leave out the sad parts. (laughs) What I didn't tell you is we never did well at the national tournament. There were eight teams invited, the eight top teams through the country, and we never did well. If you lost your first game, then there's no way. You could finish in the, you know, one, two, three, or four, sorry, three, four, or five, but you could never win the whole thing if you lost a game. And we always lost the first game. So then we were playing for second or third, whatever. My senior year, 
I realized I was becoming a basement person. Now, here we go. Let's go to the national tournament, get beat the first game and go home. And at halftime, we were down 20 points uh, by a, a very athletic team out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And the assistant coach, Westmore, came into the, I call him a balcony person, came into the locker room. And after all the other players left, because he would never do this in front of them, he took me back in the corner and he just grabbed my collar and he said, Vines, and I'm going to give you the G-rated version. When are you going to get your head out of your backside and show these people who you really are? Now think about what he just did. He criticized and gave me a compliment at the same time. That's what balcony people can do. So he tells me, stop moaning and whining. And he says, don't you realize this is a national, they don't know who you are. Show them who you are. I don't know what happened, but it motivated me so much. I had 29 points and one half of basketball and we, and we won the game. And here's the beauty of it though. Westmore went on to be a fantastic coach. He won nine Southern Conference championships in a row. And recently he became the head coach of NC State University and took them from the bottom to the, one of the top four teams in the ACC, women's basketball. One of the most respected women's basketball coaches. You are one good decision away from setting a new trajectory in your life that brings new life to you and nullifies all the failures. But you gotta do it. And I'm telling you, you probably won't be able to until you find your balcony person. Now, let's finish this. In Acts 11, we meet Barnabas again. Some from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, this is a dramatic hinge point in world history because up until this time, the gospel or the good news of Jesus had spread essentially among the Jewish people, not to the Gentiles. But then some daring soul gets this idea. You know what? If the gospel is good for Israel, maybe it'll be good for the Gentiles. Maybe it would be good for the whole world. So let's try this experiment. Let's tell the Gentiles about the good news of Jesus. And they do. And these Gentiles who don't know anything about the Torah or the Messiah, or the Messianic prophecies, or Yahweh, for that matter, they respond to the good news, and they say, man, we want in. This is brilliant. There's one God, and he reached out to man through his own son, and his son, this man called Jesus, died for the sins of the world. How brilliant is this in the mind of God? We're in. And so the first city outside of Israel to receive the gospel to this magnitude was a place called Antioch. It's a little north of Israel and Syria, and populated primarily by Gentiles. So word gets back to the Jerusalem leaders, man, there's this Jesus movement happening in Antioch, but it's kind of going Gentile. We're not sure about this. If we let the Gentiles in, that's going to change everything. Now, in a sense, everything hinges on who Jerusalem sends to check out Antioch to see if this thing is really legit. Guess who they send? Barney. Let's send Barnabas, man. He likes everybody. Acts 11, when he, this is Barnabas, arrived and saw evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and he encouraged. Of course he did. He's the son of encouragement. He encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas was such a balcony person. He sees the best potential in every situation. He came back into Jerusalem. He said, dudes, these guys got it. They're legit. God is doing a fantastic work among them. And he's so convinced. Oh, I love this part of the story. He's so convinced that the call of their lives is to take the gospel into the known world that he starts thinking about, wait a minute, these Gentiles are a little different than we Jews. I got to think about somebody who's well-educated in the Gentile world, who understands philosophy, who can connect the gospel 
the, the, the worldview of the good news of Christ to the worldview in which they're living, who could that be? And he thinks of this convert named Saul, who was very well educated. Nobody was more Jewish than, than Saul had been. I mean, he memorized the Torah. He was uh, filled with courage and energy. He was a formidable uh, uh, speaker. He was compelling. And so Barnabas says, yep, you know what? Nobody has more zeal for the Jews in the Torah than Saul, but I think there's something in him that can kind of be translated over into the Gentile world. And he was right. And the reasons, and we've not talked about it, the reason Saul's name was changed to Paul is because Saul is the Jewish version. Paul is the Greek version. And if you're going to go out and minister to the Greeks, it'd be good to have a Greek name. And that's why they changed his name. Now, what's interesting is that this would never have happened if it wasn't for Barnabas. Paul achieved so much, but we seldom talk about the impact of Barnabas on his life. They start to do ministry together. I'll show you what kind of guy Barnabas really is. They start to do ministry. And in the, in the ancient world, it's very significant to look at the list of names because the guy whose name is listed first shows you who's in charge, who's the boss, who has the prestige of the mission. That's why every time you see the disciples listed in the New Testament, Peter is listed first because he's the leader. So we start reading Acts and we see exactly what we would expect to see. Acts 11, for a whole year, Barnabas and Paul taught great numbers of people. Of course, Barnabas was the leader. They sent their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Paul. Set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work that I have called them. But then something happens in the process. By the time we get to Acts 14, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogues. And from that point on, it changes. Why? See that little switch? From a human standpoint, we might say, well, this is terrible. It seems like Barnabas has done a very bad job of career management. He should have positioned himself properly so that when this big success gained notoriety, everybody would know that Barnabas should get the credit. Barnabas could have been jealous, but instead, he rejoiced in it. His joy was in recognizing and developing greatness in somebody else. And Paul's ministry went on to be more visible than that of Barnabas, and nobody rejoiced more than Barnabas. That's what balcony people do. And you know what? Jesus said it was going to be this way. He says there's a kingdom, and it's real. And the reality in this kingdom is that the last really are first, and the people who are servants of all are really the greatest. That's where greatness is, and ultimately that's where joy is. So that balcony people like Barnabas take great delight in cheering others on to reach their full potential in Jesus. That's just what they do. That's just who they are. All right, Jeff, I got it. What's your point? Oh, man, you don't know my point yet? You need a balcony person in your life. You've got to find that person who will cheer you on and encourage you. Otherwise, you will drift farther and farther away from God's very best in your life, and you will settle for mediocrity. And let me tell you something. Be very careful of basement people who are dressed like balcony people. Be careful. Because they'll say things like this. Well, it's my job to keep you humble. Look, pal, the world does a good job doing that. I need you to stand and cheer for me. I need you to tell me you can do it. You can reach God's best for you. Man, I'm trying to tell you something I've experienced in my own life. It wasn't too long ago, so this is past my anxiety ordeal. We're, we're done talking about that. I'm tired of talking about that. 
in a new season of my life, though, I got to tell you, there was a time not too long ago, I, I found myself surrounded by basement people. I can't really explain how it happened. It happened slowly. I wasn't sleeping well. I was pessimistic. I began doing something that I've never done in my life. I began listening to basement people. And then I became a basement person myself, which is so unlike me. And I started saying things that balcony people would never say. I would say things like, well, this is as good as it gets. Man, I would have never said that in years past. And people who have a balcony person in their lives never say something like that. That's a statement of submission to mediocrity. And you say that when you're living in isolation. You cannot live in isolation and have a balcony person. You think we just tell you to get into rooted groups and small groups because we're trying to count the numbers. You are so wrong. We're trying to save your life. Now look, you know what happens when you live on an island, right? Right? One of my favorite stories. Guys deserted on an island. Ten years. Finally, a boat comes into the island to save him. He's been there stranded. And the guy that rescues him notices three houses, three little huts that he had built. And he says to the guy, man, you're here by yourself? Yeah, 10 years. What are the three little huts? Well, that hut's where I lived. I had to build a hut to live. Well, what's that hut? That's my church. That's the hut I go to church. Well, what's the other hut? He said, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> you can't even get along with yourself, man. You can't. <laughs> Think about that. You can't even get along with yourself. Gravity pulls you down into depression and self-loathing and anxiety sets in. And if you're not careful, you'll, you might even start talking to a volleyball. You become irrational, suicidal. You need a balcony person. You say, okay, Pastor Jeff, I can't find one. Help me. Okay, I'm glad you asked. Here's how you find one. Number one, stop hanging out all the time with basement people because balcony people won't hang out with them. You're not going to find one there naysayers and gossipers and critical spirits and people of constant suspicion. You want to know where to find them? Go to a place where people are serving others. That's where they hang out. That's where you'll find them. Find an area of service. Get off your duff. Move toward the healing waters. Get not, you're going to meet some people who will become a balcony person for you. You think it's just going to, you think somebody's going to knock on your door? Balcony person, I'm here for you. Not, it doesn't happen like that. Barnabas was extremely generous. Balcony people believe a person can truly change. Balcony people see the best in every situation. Balcony people help you reach your greatest potential in Christ. I love the scripture that says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Hebrews 10, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so I ask you the question one more time, for whom are you a balcony person? You say, I can't be a balcony, but I don't have time. I have so many. No, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Just choose one. And second, who is your balcony person? Because without one, you're in constant danger of drifting down into the basement where nothing good lives. Okay, let's end our time. Do you know the name Florence Chadwick? She grew up on the beach began competing as a swimmer at age six. She's quite famous. She loved the water, and at the encouragement of her uncle, she started entering rough water swim contests, rough water, even at the age of seven. And then by the age of 11, Chadwick won first place in a six-mile race across the choppy waters of the San Diego Bay Channel. And then for the next 19 years, she continued as a competitive swimmer. When she was 13 years old, she came in second at the U.S. National Championships. 
She was the first woman to swim across the English Channel both ways. Now, there came in her life a big moment. She was 34 years old, and she decided that she would attempt to become the first woman to swim the 21 miles across the Catalina Channel from Catalina Island to Palos Verde on the California coast. When the day came for the challenge, the ocean was ice cold. The fog was so thick, she could barely see the support boats that would follow her. The tides and the currents were against her. There were sharks in the water. But by daybreak, she decided to go ahead with the swim, believing that the fog would lift in time. Hour after hour, she's in the water. The fog never lifted. Actually, it was televised. Americans watched on television to see members of her support crew fire rifles at the sharks that kept coming close. She kept going. At the 15th hour point, I can't even walk for 15 hours. I mean, I don't think I can stand for 15. I don't, you know, I'm not a good swimmer. Okay, I, I can't fathom somebody in the water this long swimming. She looked at her mother in the support boat and said, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can make it. At 15 hours and 55 minutes, with huge disappointment, she asked her support crew to take her out of the water. 15 hours, 50, almost 16 hours. Because of the fog, she couldn't see the coastline, so she had no idea where she was. She soon found out she was less than a mile from the coast. Later, she told a reporter, look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I know I could have made it. You know why I love that story, right? Oh, man. If she'd only had a balcony person standing above the fog and saying, man, you're almost there. You're almost there. This entire choppy water swim, you're almost there. Folks, do you realize all these events in your life up to now that you have seen as the abandonment of God has been God's hand on you? You need a balcony person to say, no, 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 no. Don't let all this stuff you've endured in your life go to waste. You're almost at the shoreline. You're almost there. For that life that you've always wanted, you're so close. But if you don't have a balcony person, you'll go back down into the dungeon. Can you imagine Barnabas's funeral? Barnabas is that passed away. A man gets up to speak. It's the apostle Paul and everybody in the room goes, hey, that's Paul. And Paul goes, guys, I persecuted the church. I put followers of Jesus to death. Nobody trusted me. No one would touch me. But I got called of God, but nobody would believe me. But this guy Barnabas came and put his arm around me and said, I believe in you. And I don't care what you've done or where you've been in the past. I know God's very best for you is yet to be realized. And then a Greek guy you know, one of those first Christians from Antioch stands up and says, man, I was so pagan. I was so lost. I didn't think I could ever be found. Then I heard about this Jesus and I wanted in, but I didn't know the Torah. I don't know Jewish custom. I didn't fit in. And then this guy Barnabas comes along, puts his arm around me and says, come on, man, I'll walk you through this. We'll do this together and you can become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. But my favorite person would have been that old widow who stands up and says, nobody, nobody cared anything about us. I'm not famous. I lost everything when my husband died. I had no income. I had young children. I didn't know how we were going to make it. And then this guy Barnabas comes along and he actually sells. He wasn't that wealthy, but he sold some of his own property so that I could have something to live on so that my children could have food. And I'm here today because of Barnabas. That's a kingdom funeral right there, buddy. That is a kingdom funeral. And it's the funeral every single one of us should want. One more time. Who's your balcony person? If you don't get one, you'll never make it past mediocrity. And who are you a balcony person for so that somebody else can get out of the dungeon 
and realize their full potential in Christ. Man, I love that song. You got a friend in, I love, I love Toy Story. I cry at every one of them. Don't know why. You need a friend. You need a friend. Father, thank you for your love for us, for something so practical in the book of Acts that we can see and have our lives changed. We do love you. We know that you loved us and continue to love us still. And so my prayer is that every individual in this room will begin to pray intently and intensely for you to send a balcony person into their lives and that they would recognize the best way to find a balcony person is to become a balcony person. They tend to congregate together. And I pray that we would realize the abundant life Christ came to bring. In his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.